you will, turn to the book of James this morning. We're going to be doing chapter 1 today. It is 27 verses. There are six points, so we're going to be moving. We're going to be moving. Because we've got to do all that, and we want to partake of communion this morning together as well. So by way of introduction before we pray... Look at, at verse 1 in, in chapter 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Who is James? Most historians, most early church fathers believes, believed almost emphatically that this James was James the Just, the leader of the church in Jerusalem and brother to Jesus. And we know that Jesus' brothers at one point in the Gospels did not believe. They may have believed him to be a just man, a righteous man, but when it came to Messiah, not, not too sure. My brother is not too sure about it. But we do know that they did come to faith, perhaps after the resurrection. And we know that two of them went on to leadership uh, of, of some capacity. We know that James had a great leadership uh, role in the church at Jerusalem, and two of them wrote Bible books, James, which we will be studying, and also the small book of Jude was written by the half-brother of Jesus as well. James considers himself to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ, a willing servant, giving up all rights to his own life to serve Jesus, his brother, his God, his Savior. Lord, everything I am, everything I have, it's yours. That's the bond servant, a willing servant to a good, loving master. Now, as we spend five weeks looking at the words of a bond servant, the brother of Christ, I hope that we're encouraged. We're encouraged to bear the marks of a bond servant, to bear the marks of someone who has said, My life is yours, God. My life is yours. You died, you saved me. You own me, you created me, my life is yours. All that I am, all that I have, it's yours. It's a bondservant. Thirdly, we see in chapter 1, or verse 1, that James writes to Jewish believers scattered abroad. Now, after, after the death of Stephen, a great persecution arose within the Christian, Jewish Christian community there in Jerusalem. Stephen, you'll remember him, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith chosen to be one of the seven to, to choose the, uh, uh, to, to take care of the widows, the, the Greek widows and the Jewish widows, to serve them food and to take care of that task. And we see in chapter 8, it says this, chapter 8 of Acts and verse 1, now Saul, who would la- later become saved and become Paul the apostle, was consenting to the death of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So it makes sense that this James, a leader of the Christian church, would be writing to the scattered sheep. This makes James possibly the earliest New Testament book written, perhaps as early as 10 to 15 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Most describe James as an instruction manual for practical Christian living. And this morning I'd like to describe it this way a manual for living out our faith. A manual for living out 
our faith. James uses the word faith 12 times, and Jesus said of faith that it takes just a tiny little mustard seed of faith, and you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. Faith. Faith. Sometimes we expect that that moving that mountain-type faith, even though it's a mustard seed, boy, that mustard seed must be really, really powerful. You must really, really be able to press in and do an extraordinary work of faith to move the mountain. But James is filled with very practical ways of living out our faith, and I would submit to you that many mountains in our own personal lives are moved by simple everyday acts of faith in obedience to God's Word. As we read it, and then we go and do what it says. That's, that's faith. That's faith. Faith that can move a mountain. Faith that can move the mountains in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your love for us and for your word this morning. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would understand your word. Lord, that, Father, you would be glorified in our thoughts, in our actions, in, 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 Lord, in, in, in just each and every one of us, maybe this morning, opening our hearts and minds to, to things that will challenge us and test us and teach us and grow us in this faith that you've given us. God, be glorified in our study. In Jesus' name, amen. So our six points this morning, if you are a note taker, will be, number one, faithful, faithful trials. Number two, faith for wisdom. Number three, faith for finances. Number four, faith for temptation. And number five, faith for overcoming anger. And number six, faith for focus. Faith for focus. I'll be repeating those if you didn't get a chance to write them all down, so don't worry. Verse two of chapter one, James says this. My brethren... My brethren, he uses my brethren 15 times in this book. It's either my brethren or my beloved brethren. You see, he considers those that he's writing to his family, his brother, his sister. He considers that his relationship with them is personal. It's loving, it's caring, it's concerned for their well-being. Family, I hope that each of us finds that here at Rocky Mountain. If you've been called here to Rocky Mountain... You're blessed by the teaching, you're blessed by the worship, you're blessed by the ministry that we do, but you say like lots of people, lots of people, man, it's just too, it's too big to really get to know somebody. It's hard in a big church. Hard things are good. Hard things are good. Don't let that stand in the way. You see, if you consider the body of Christ your family, those that come to 9 o'clock your family, and you already consider that, and that's your point of view, then sooner or later you'll find family here. You will find family here. My brethren, he says. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Ready for every trial. Did James just say that? Did James just say that? Me, this wretched sinner with this wicked heart at times? 
my faults and my faltering? Did he just say that I can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Wives, can you imagine if your husband was perfect and complete, lacking nothing? I know that sometimes he thinks he is. But you know better. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I would submit to you that this side of heaven that is perfect and complete, lacking nothing that we can be, that's what we should indeed strive for. That's what we should strive for. And I think the key here and what James is saying is that I want you to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing when that trial comes your way. Nothing, when that trial comes your way, you're, you're ready and you face it and somehow you can count it as joy because of what it's doing. So how can I count that trial as joy when there's nothing joyous about it? Faith. Faith for the trial. Faith in God, it's, it's who you put your faith in, not getting your eyes stuck on that trial, no matter how small or how large. But I have faith in a big God, that he's going to use this. He's going to make me more patient. He's going to make me more perfect in him. And so all of a sudden, I indeed have gotten my eyes off that trial, my eyes on the Lord. And in faith, I say, I'm, I'm going to face this, Lord, and, and you're going to do an awesome work, an awesome work. Trials. Some big, some small. You know, I've had a trial lately I'm going to share with you. Maybe it's not so big. But I'm 53 now. Some of you, that's young. To some of you, that's very, very old. And I love to play sports. And more than playing sports, I love to win. Well, at 53, to do what I need to do to win... I'm finding out that the body does not come along with the spirit. <laughs> the last three years, skateboarding with my son, I pulled this calf, and it wasn't just a little pull. It was on one of those pulls where, yeah, you go down and you can't walk for a couple of days without a limp anyway. Playing basketball with David Franklin, our junior high pastor, pulled this other calf, same exact way, knew exactly what it was because I had done it before. Just about healed over that. I'm playing softball. have a collision at second base. I come up and over the guy. Boom. Feel it. Just same thing. Just popped. I mean, went down and walking off, you know, in defeat and just, Lord, what's going on here? And those of you that are getting older and recognize there is a great trial sometimes within ourselves that I used to do this. My brain used to function on all cylinders, you know, and now it's, you know, just kind of misses a beat every once in a while. It's a trial. Paul, Paul talked about some trials. He, he, he listed several of them in 2 Corinthians 11. I'll read it to you. He says, in, la in labors more abundant, in stripes be above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. 
in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings more often, in cold and in nakedness, besides the other things. Paul, if that's not enough already. And listen to what he says. But what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. My deep concern for all the churches. I've done all of this and I've faced all of this and God has put me through all of this. Why? It's for people that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I have, that's my concern. That's my focus. And here I, here I am. Lord, I can't win anymore. I'm pulling muscles. Pathetic, Right? Now, I know that your trial is not pulling muscles. And I know that perhaps your trial right now, at least in your heart and your mind, is rivaling Paul's. Because it seems huge, it seems unbearable, it seems like you can't overcome it. See what Paul did after listing those trials? My concern is outside me and outside my trials. It's focused on people. It's focused on faith. It's focused on the Lord. Faith gets us through temptations. Faith is how I can, I can somehow go, Lord, everything is falling apart. God, I rejoice in you. And I rejoice in your goodness because you're going to see me through. Romans 8.28 says, and we... Know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are calling, who are called according to His purpose. There is joy in becoming perfect in in Christ, but sometimes becoming more perfect in Christ means that He's going to give me that test. He's going to test that faith to see how genuine that faith is, to show me that I can trust in Him to show each of us that we can trust in him. Faith for trials. Secondly, faith for wisdom. Verse 5. It says, If if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And oh my goodness, we have all been there just a little bit. Trusting the Lord and then pulling back that trust. Trusting the Lord and having faith and then pulling back that faith. And he says that you're double-minded at that time. You're not going to receive from the Lord at that time. Now, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus showed up at your door, if he gave you a ring, gave you a call, and he said, you know, I've got a big, I've got a big trial coming for you. And, and you're not going to like it. It's going to be real tough. It's going to be perhaps the biggest trial that you've ever faced. But I, I came here today to tell you it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I've supplied everything that you need. I will be with you, and I will be here as you go through that trial. Wouldn't it be nice if the God of the universe did that? 
James basically says, when you need that and when you need that wisdom from a trial, ask of God. He gives liberally, and that, that means he gives a lot. And it's at, without reproach. He's, he's not going to scold you for, for asking him. He's waiting, and he's there. Listen to what else the God of heaven and earth has promised us. In Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, Let us therefore come boldly, coming boldly before the throne of grace. Means we come in faith. Let us boldly become uh, come before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help of time in time of need my greatest time of need is when those trials come and oh god i'm I'm not sure what to do i need your wisdom jesus told his disciples in john 14 if you love me keep my commandments and i will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because neither he sees him, neither, neither they see him or know him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. God's ever-present spirit dwelling within the believer. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, I believe in you, Jesus Christ, then his spirit dwells in you. And his spirit is there to be a helper. Dwelling in you for everything that you need, for every bit of wisdom and every bit of trial, every time that you need to understand God's word, the spirit is there to reveal the word to, to you. In Second Peter 1, 2, and 3, it says, Peter, Peter wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Peter says, you have everything you need. I'm going to supply it to you. Get to know me, and you'll have everything that you need. Isn't it nice that the God of the universe comes to us whenever we need it, and says, that, yeah, there's going to be a trial. There's a trial now, and I'm here. And I've got everything that you need. And I'm going to see you through this. And you're going to be better for it. You're going to be better for it. So we can face these trials by faith because of this. He is with us. His spirit dwells in us. He will lead us. We can come boldly in faith. In our time of need, his power gives us all we need. My brethren, it is indeed nice that the promises of God have supplied everything that we need. That does not, that does not say that this trial is fun. But it does say that God will see me through it. That I can find something to where here my faith says, Oh Lord, you're doing something and so I'm okay with it. In fact, I feel, I feel okay with it because you've allowed me to go through this and you're here with me. Number three is faith for finances or also the proper perspective on money. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly or poor brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. 
For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. Now, James knew that both poverty and riches comes with its trial, comes with its temptation. The poor man stumbled by what he does not have. The rich man stumbled by indeed what he does have. And this idea of poor and rich is a little bit subjective, especially here in America. You see, I had an idea of, of poor at one time. And then I went to Mexico. And we took some clothes to a mother of five. Lived in an eight by eight shack, basically made of pallets, tin, cardboard, whatever it is that they could put that thing and hold that thing together with. No electricity, no, no running water. Just a, just a little kind of a makeshift bed in an eight by eight room, five children. And you see, I, had, I immediately had a new definition in my mind of what poor was. Of what poor was. And, and James here says, if you're poor, glory, rejoice in the riches that you have in Christ. Jesus said, the poor you have always with you. And, and indeed, we will, until the Christ comes back, there will be poor, there will be rich. It is the way of things. He says, if you find yourself in that place, rejoice because the riches that are God's are yours. Your inheritance is, is in my hands and I have it for you and it's waiting for you. And so if you're struggling and you feel like you're poor, you feel like you're, you're in need, remember that God has everything that you need waiting for you. Have faith in your poorness. And likewise, the rich man, don't glory in it. Don't glory in, in the wealth. Be someone who is a giver. Be someone who treats your money with faith. Glory in the humiliation. Now, now at this time, James is writing to believers, and there would have been more wealthy believers. And, he, and he's telling them and reminding them, hey, at any time, that, those riches can be ripped from you. And the rich man that is now for, poor, there is a certain degree of humiliation in that. There can be. It says glory in it. Glory in it. So it it's, it's all right. Because you see, if your pursuit is that money, then it's going to leave you empty. Because you see, that, that, those riches do not save you. They cannot save you. They cannot extend your life. They cannot get you into heaven. And they will, if that's your pursuit, they will leave you as empty as that money is at the end of every rich person's life. Have a proper perspective of faith on riches. A proper perspective of faith on money. Fourthly, verse 12, faith for temptation. Faith for temptation. It says, blessed or happy is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is. What a good feeling it is when we endure that temptation. When we say, no, not today. Not today. Today, in this moment, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to say no 
to what God has said no to. I'm going to say no to what God doesn't want me involved with. And I overcome and I endure that temptation. What a blessing, James says. What a blessing. And it comes with great reward. In verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Sin, I will submit to you, is a two-part process. It's a two-part process. And that first process begins with the temptation to sin. And James, James says, God does not tempt us. God, God does not uh, place that temptation in front of us that, that he might tempt us toward evil. He might test us. He might test us and, and give us a test of faith, but he does not tempt us toward evil. Nor can we place the entire temptation or sin on the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. That devil, he gets inside me and I just, you know, he just gets me. He says, no, you can't do that. Now, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. But he overcame because of this, because of his love for the Father, his love for the Word of God, and his love for you and I to be that perfect, sinless sacrifice for sin. So the temptation had no foothold. The temptation had no foothold, and he remained sinless through the temptation. Look at verse 14. He says, But each one is tempted, tempted toward evil, when he is drawn away. Drawn away from what? Drawn away from love of God and faith in God. That's what drawn away is. When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. He says, you are tempted by something because you want it. That desire is, lies within you. It, is, it, it lies within you. It's present in your faith. Look at verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And this is the second part of sin. It's a second part of sin. And sin, once again, I will submit to you, is an agreement. It's an agreement in thoughts and actions with that desire. In other words, the temptation comes. It sparks a desire that's already there. Something that you know to be wrong, but yet in your thoughts you go, well, maybe. That looks kind of good. That looks kind of nice. And then those thoughts give birth to sin when our actions now agree. Sin is an agreement of our thoughts and actions with a wicked, sinful desire. We're not tempted by God. Sure, Satan can tempt us. But following through and that faith becoming full-blown and leading toward death. And if you're a Christian, you know that if somehow you're walking in sin today or this week or whenever, you know that there's a deadness, a separation from the Lord cause, cause, because you're not overcoming. And James says, I, I want you to overcome. It's, it's blessed. It's, it's blessed. It's, you're happy when you overcome that. Now, this is the good news that James says. This is the great news. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't miss this. Don't get this wrong. I want you to get this, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above 
and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is on our side. You see, God loves us, and God's good, and he has all good things for us. And in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a temptation, I need good things. I need good things. James is saying, they come from God. Remember, he didn't tempt you. He doesn't want to tempt you. That, that sinful nature is in there, and that desire is in there. But God has good things for you. God has good things for you. He wants goodness for you. He wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you ex to experience that blessedness of overcoming temptation. But it is done by faith. Faith for temptation. Faith for temptation. Fifthly, we'll see that faith is for overcoming anger. Now, I also put in parentheses, faith to shut your mouth. Look at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I cannot produce a righteous outcome if I get angry to the point of wrath. Can't happen, James says. Swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to wrath. Now, many of us, I would submit to you, and I certainly have done it, are very, very slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to wrath. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. This is a bit of priceless, priceless wisdom from James. That if we'll follow it, it will cause us to really slow down, to get the whole situation, to hear. And, and to keep ourselves from falling into that wrath, that anger. Getting a righteous outcome. Getting God's peace and understanding to wash over any trial is indeed an act of faith. Now, isn't it great when we come to that agreement quickly? When we, we're calmed down and, and we're talking things out and we, and we understand and we come to a conclusion and there's no wrath, there's no, there's no anything there. We're just, it's, just, it's just blessed. I mean, that's, that's awesome. But this morning, I recognize, and I think most of us recognize, that anger happens when we've tried over and over and over again. The same conversation, the same issue, the same problem, Nothing's changing. I'm not getting a different outcome. And so I have no choice. I have no choice but to spit lightning and to roll out the thunder. And I have just said, God, I've lost faith in doing things your way. And we all do it. We all do it. And sometimes there's righteous anger. And yes, sometimes we get frustrated to that point. But I submit to you, James says this morning, slow that down. Slow that down. Listen much more. Listen much more. Speak less. And don't let that anger 
tell you what to do. You see, and if you have a, an issue with anger this morning in any area of life, it can flow over to all areas of life and every trial and every issue. And this can get ahead of us sometimes. And if that's you this morning, then it is indeed an issue of faith. Where you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you right now. I want to just let him have it. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because I want a righteous outcome. I want the right outcome. I want the best outcome. That takes patience sometimes, and that takes holding our tongue many, 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 many times. Ask the Lord for faith for overcoming anger. And sixthly, we see that faith brings us focus and causes us to be focused. Look at verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of the wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You see, James was writing to Christians that lived in a wicked world as well. They had to lay aside filthiness and wickedness that was in their world, just like it is in ours. And he says, as you do that, as you get the bad stuff, the wicked stuff out, get the good stuff in. Receive the word. Let it be implanted in you. Let it be deep into your heart, he says. What he's saying is, get the wickedness out and focus on God's word. Focus on God's word. Look at verse 22. Once we've focused on God's word, he gives us this admonition, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That, deceiving ourselves, and if we, ever, if we never want to deceive ourselves, then what does it take? It takes personal reflection and honesty before the Lord and before ourselves, that we wouldn't deceive ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And there's not a one of us that doesn't want to be blessed before the Lord in all that we do. He says this is what it takes. Get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in, and then go and do the good stuff that God's word has asked you to do. Focusing, focusing on the perfect law of liberty. Now Jesus said the highest law, the law that cannot be judged is the law of love. When he said you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second law is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Focus on it. Focus on a target that needs agape love. Somebody in your life needs agape love. Somebody's worse off than you. There's somebody always that God is bringing into our lives that we can focus on and when we focus on the Lord and we focus on that, on loving the Lord and we focus on loving others, you see, then we've just overcome whatever it is that's going on in our lives. Focus on a target that needs agape love and fire away. And that's stepping out in faith. Many times that takes stepping out in faith, but you'll be blessed because of it. Look at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, we've talked about the tongue just a little bit already. In chapter 3, we're going to talk about the tongue a lot. In chapter 2, we're going to talk about useless religion or useless faith. 
And so all I will say about this verse is this. The words we speak will reveal whether we are in faith or not. The words that we speak will reveal that to ourselves and, and to others. Look at verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Pure and undefiled religion. Now this morning, I would ask you that if I had on this side of me some gold... And I'm going to sell it to you. And I said, this gold, now this gold over here, it's not quite pure. It's got some impurities in it. It hasn't been refined. It's got some little particles and some different things. And I've got some gold over here, and it's 99.9% pure as it can be. Tried in the fire, all of the dross taken off as much as possible, it's pure. Now you can buy this one or that one for 900 bucks an ounce. Right now, the going rate is, is 1200 Now, if you had some money and you were an investor, you'd go, man, yeah, I'd, I'll, I'll take you up on that, 900 bucks. I'm making 300 bucks as soon as I take it off the stage. Which side would you buy it from? Silly question, right? Silly question. James says, pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled ought to make us as Christians go, I want, I want to know what that is. I want to know what that is, you see, because I want my works to be as pure as gold, undefiled, right, before the Lord. And so, so he mentions two things in our walk with the Lord. The first one is that we visit widows and orphans. Now, widows and orphans represent the most needy in our society. He says, focus on the needy. Focus on someone worse off from you than you. Focus on the most needy. It's pure, it's undefiled. It's faith before the Lord. It says, second, keep oneself unspotted from the world. From the world, Faith in Jesus stays away from the sin that he died for. Faith in Jesus stays away from the sin that he died for by faith. By faith. It's pure. It's undefiled. James writes, if we want to focus on the most important things, then we focus our faith on reaching out to the needy and hating sin and hating sin. So there we have it this morning. Faith for trials, faith for wisdom, faith for finances, faith for temptation, faith to overcome anger, faith for focus. That's an awful lot of homework for this week, isn't it? That's a lot of awesome things. And you know, as we read through James, and as we read through James, because it is, it is written of things that we can do, we can see a lot of have-tos. And a lot of things that I have to change and that I need to to do. I hope we see get-tos. Get-tos. The things that convict you this morning that you're not doing according to God's words, where maybe he's, he's busted you a little bit, they're get-tos. They're get-tos. And so rather, rather than being mediocre in your walk with the Lord, James has just said, this is pure and undefiled. This is how Christians, my beloved brethren, we get things done. This is how we can do it. This is how we can have faith before the Lord, faith that is revealed. Now, if the world saw us, and if Colorado Springs saw us here at Rocky Mountain, joyfully taking on trials, always being filled with wisdom, rich in the poor, praising God together, 
not giving into temptation, overcoming anger, anger, busily helping those in need, what would they say? They'd say, there goes a church of faith. There goes a church that can move mountains. There goes a church that can make a difference. This morning, we are going to take communion, and our pastors and ushers are busily, busily getting communion ready in the back. And communion is that reminder that Christ paid a great price on the cross. And it's a symbol. It's a symbol as we take that bread that Christ was beaten for our sin. And as we drink the cup that his blood was shed for our sin, that we might be forgiven. And Christians, we understand that. But this morning, you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for some reason, you came to a 9 o'clock service here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. Maybe you've come to other services, and, and this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and yet God is calling you, then you already know. You already know in your heart that he's calling you. And the gospel is this, that we're sinners, that we're all sinners, and that sin costs us death. We fell short of God's glory. But God knew that we would sin, and his plan was to die on the cross, God himself, to come in flesh and die on the cross for that sin. And my part, your part this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, is to simply have faith in that. To simply say yes to Jesus as he's calling you and you know it. Now as we pray, at some point during the prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to raise your hand this morning. You already know God, God's calling you. You can raise your hand this morning. You can receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your word that corrects us, that encourages us, Lord, that pulls us along in our walk of faith, Lord, that, that has done so much for us. Lord, help us to be doers of the word. And as every head is bowed and eyes are closed, this morning, if that's you and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know today's the day of salvation, and you know God wants you to raise your hand, it, yeah, it can be a little bit scary giving in to Jesus Christ, but he's a good God, he's a loving God, he knows you by name, and he knows you this morning. And if that's you, and if any, anyone is here this morning, just raise your hand, we'll say a simple prayer, and you'll be introduced to the God of the universe who loved you, who died on the cross for your sin. We'll pause just a little bit as you, as you consider these things. If there anyone in the cafe or, or upstairs, I may not see your hand. Anyone this morning, I'd like to receive Jesus Christ. I need to know salvation. I need to be forgiven of my sin. Anyone this morning. I'll submit to you also that after the service, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you weren't quite ready, we'll be available for you to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now that as we take communion, Lord, and as we rest and continue to praise you and to praise your name, Lord, that those this morning and believers this morning that maybe have walked away, that maybe aren't walking in your love and in your light and in your joy, that as they take communion this morning, they would take it with confidence, Lord, that indeed you love them, that you died for them, that their sin can be, can be washed away just as you did at salvation, Lord. You can wash it away again. You're so gracious and you're so merciful. 
We just ask it in Jesus' name.